Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And again, we got, got a new haircut, too. Oh, yeah. And, new and guess what? Yeah. You are not a caller. You are not on the line with us, uh, as the uh, thing suggests. And this keeps on. This is a, hey, something that's bugging me in Glad video that I'm land. here. So, yeah, Dave is yeah. here. So, I'm Ray Ray. This is Dave. We are people in the studio together. Yes. So um, if uh, you live in the Springfield, Missouri area, actually in Missouri in general, I think uh, we had uh, slight orders lifted so people can start uh, mixing and mingling and all that stuff. So that's sort of exciting, though. It's still there's injustice reigning. Oh, my um, goodness, man. Yeah. So, so totally yeah. Um, a weird time to be living in a certainly a time to demonstrate that uh, there is only one just ruler. And it is God, yep. the triune God of Scripture. And so, yeah, we certainly recognize that as the reality. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot I can say, too, but like that that's good. So, uh, by the way, uh, got Sonny. He wants to talk. Uh, we know nothing about what he wants to talk about. We don't even got it ready for him to hook up. Yeah, I know, I'm just I, like yeah. totally doing this fly and on, <laughs> on, on, on the fly. Um, so uh, I'll just ask him what's up while you kind of okay. roll for a minute. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so yeah, you guys, uh, um, I hope you guys are doing well and, um, you know, on the live cast land and podcast land and uh, man, Dave is so much better at uh, holding conversation while I do things and I need to work on that oh, anyway. Man. But anyway, yeah. So we, uh, again, hope that everything is well with you guys. Um, I, you know, just this time of uh, just coming out of coronavirus, um, the whole scare, the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. I hope that you guys have um, spent time in the word. Um, I've been spending a lot more time um, just in theonomy, um, in the scriptures. Uh, just I want to get to the freedom that we have in Christ, uh, despite uh, even being called into um, getting maybe ticketed at the very minimum to, you know, prison time, just like getting in that mind of what, what would it be like if there was persecution? So I'm not saying yeah. that we're not in, we're not, you know, I'm not saying that, or I, I'm not saying that we're in persecution right now. You know, there, mm. there's not a, a literal like singling you know me, out. Man. Yeah. <laughs> not, I, I mean, there, 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 there are persecution is a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. You know certainly. Like, so you, name calling for your faith is little, but you know that if somebody is ad hominem using ad hominem against you, I mean that they are persecuting you. Yeah. But that is very slight compared to say martyrdom, right? And, well, and here's the issue. Kind of like for me, but. 100%, I think that we would be best. And in my mind, uh, what I would say is best to try to understand the situation where there is an oppressive government that is basically saying, you have to do this. That's not what we're under. We are under a reality where very quickly we could have that as the reality. And yeah. I think the strength and the power and the actual ability for the government to step in and do that would be a real, real issue. Yeah. So, so yeah. It's, it's one of those things like, you know, that because it's so light in a way, um, you know, the, the, there's been grace granted um, by churches um, because they're just as I don't know as everybody else, right? Um, but the whole time is it, it is we got to think about the uh, precedents that have been set. Um, what do we do if we think about influenza and people dying? Are we going to end up having to close church down just for? Um, just normal seasonal things that go on because, Hey, it does save lives. Right. At least according to the assumptions of uh, the science flying around right now, you know, so we got to re really recognize that we can't uh, just have these orders lifted and be able to do what we're doing without going, okay, what did we just go through Yeah, and what was done and just kind of just going, well, that's the past I'm, I'm going forward. We have our certain, 
things back and whatnot. And, you know, don't take those as, you know, well, the government gave us permission. Now everything's fine. Don't think about it. Don't look at the man uh, behind the curtain, you know, keep thinking about these things. You know, we've got to, because, we, you know, if you forget the past, you're doomed to repeat it, right? And yeah. That's, that's, you know, and that's, that's, an, that's a biblical principle. That's not just something that man has come up with, but that's the whole testimony of Israel. That's the book of Judges. And so, you know, we do need to dwell on the past in a way of not, not dwelling on it and, 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 and complaining and, and being hateful about it, but just going, what really happened and uh, what could continue to happen um, into the future if things aren't talked about. And so that's kind of yeah, where Yeah, well, I and I think that yeah. there, is some, there really needs to be, I guess, a follow-up that I would say before we jump into everything for the show. Yeah. It's always kind of fun to get to do this because like, we don't even plan some of our chat like yeah. right as we get going. But like, what I think pastors really do need to be sitting down, pastors and elders and deacon boards need to be sitting down with their uh, leaders and saying, you know, what is the ultimate line? Like, if they say, no, you cannot meet, like, when do we say, yes, you can, how do we know that that's the right thing to say? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Because what we basically saw was, at least here in the state of Missouri, this idea, hey, for the betterment of everyone, we need to separate and change the way we're doing worship. So no more corporate gatherings of any more than 10. All right. Yeah. Cool. You know what? I can play by the rules on that. I think that we have a historic precedence for in the midst of a pandemic, faithful Christians have done that. I also would give liberty to anyone who says, no, we're not doing that. And I wouldn't belittle them or bash them and say, oh, you're not loving your neighbor. I would just say, you know, my the way that I would handle this would certainly be different than the way I think you would handle it. Right. And here's the thing. And I would say, Thankfully, we have a government who didn't say, no, you can't meet in drive-through style worship services. Well, actually, like, some. Oh, yeah. Oh, there there was. I mean. Well, here in Missouri, of, we were yeah, good. Be, yeah, yeah, here in Missouri. But, I mean, how's it, you know, so we can't just look at it in parts, parts and pieces. We've got to look at totals as well. And, you know, it, I saw one uh, thing the other day where we there was just a protest uh, to open things back up just for work. And they were standing six feet apart. and they were being peaceful. There was no violence offered, but there um, were police officers with um, a PA system telling them to go home. And I was like, so not only can we not meet and peacefully assemble as a church, protesters can't peacefully assemble. And that just goes to show you that it actually went against the constitution. Yeah. So even by our constitutional standards, this whole thing is just throwing it, throwing everything out of the water and there's control. And if you look at the whole, the whole, baseline of this of what we've done was so that they could control the uh the sickness so that you don't overwhelm the hospital system all right so the yeah. term control is in there it was government control of the yeah, yeah. on by so, because of some arbitrary standard so the other thing that i want to say is and i think this is a pretty good piece like i don't think that we've had a trend tyrannical rule but i think we're like right on a lot closer than what yeah. we ever have seen in our lifetimes to that yeah. and the possibility of that and it does tell you like look as a church we need to make sure that we understand who our ultimate authority is yeah and we need to submit to that ultimate authority and so i do think that any church that complied i mean the church that i pastor we certainly complied it was it was not a question for us like really it was hey we want to do what's right we want to yeah. do what's better and what's safe and we don't know we don't know now we have a whole lot better picture of what's going on. We've had time to look at it. And I'd say, you know, for me, churches being cautious and being smart is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and but gradually moving time, into. Yeah, but at the same time, together. I think uh, the, the thing that's been lacking, and I mean, in, in, I'd say in the mainstream, there are really awesome outliers out there um, like Apologia and, and churches like that that have talked back. You know, you have the yeah. extreme examples um, of the people that uh, held. Uh, congregations and they had really no care for health. Right. And then people did get sick. Well, you can't, and that, that's what everybody's going to in the main media anyways, looking at yeah. that, but you have people, um, you know, cause the government has no right to tell the church what to do. And so what the injustice is now is it's, they're telling you not to sing and they're telling you not to do the sacraments. And that's not their place. That is say Dave's place. He gets yeah. to go, let's, let's be wise and not do it or do it in a different way than we normally do it but the government can't tell you not to do it. And if they were to fine you because you figured out a clean way to do things um, by 
by you, by your congregation, if they find you, that is the overreach because they have no place into telling you um, if you can or cannot do sacraments or ordinances and stuff like that. Um, so that's the stuff that we got to continue to talk about as these things lift. Um, because um, if you allow a little bit of arbitrariness, this is the whole point of our apologetic. If you give somebody the one arbitrary thing that they need, then they can go anywhere in the conversation. Yeah. And so um, that's why, again, we're presuppositionalists because we understand we can't even give somebody logic. Because if once we do, we're in their car and they're going to take us to their destination, right? Hey, I heard you say it. that so, one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what, uh, you know, that'll take us right into it. But yeah. uh, sort of, we... So yeah, we don't want to inundate you with this like too much. Cause like now this is like the fourth or fifth episode on, uh, on this discussion with Dr. Richard Howe. And so we want to keep making sure yeah, that we and, give and something guess, else and talk about something else. Cause we don't want to just totally, um, be labor, be labor, be labor. And cause there's a lot of other things that we can oh, talk yeah, about, but certainly, yeah. but I do think it's good that we give a recap. I yeah. mean, I think that it was only, I honestly, I think it's only respectful to at least try to work through some of those things. Make sure that we're accurately representing, uh, Dr. Howe and Mr. Tucker never at all. Do we want to misrepresent them or cause them to, um, think that we're saying that they said something they didn't. Obviously, that happens sometimes in conversations, but like we certainly want to be respectful. We thought it was a good exchange. We yeah. thought it was a fair exchange. Not exactly what we expected going in. We'll also address that, I think, right at the beginning. But before we do that, we're going to do something else. Yes, we something are. we haven't got to do in a long time. Well, no, we have got to do in a while, but you know, I got something new here. So we're going to have some fun with. <laughs> All right, we're going to hit you with some meme theology. So this is how we're going to split this conversation up a little bit. Um, but yeah, we wanted to get into a meme. This is something that Dave shared with me. So you oh, yeah. go for it, man. Found you it from the it. amazing group that uh, we're both part of and uh, many really awesome pastors there uh, that we have been able to connect with, people that we now can call dear friends, um, at least for me, people that I really admire. The Baptist Review, a guy posted this on The Baptist Review. I always think it's a great place for some content, and we always get good discussion on there, but it's nice to be able to do this in our venue and in our way. So here it is. I don't know who uh, Mason Meninja is, but he is obviously someone who affirms critical race theory. And oh, here's yeah. what he said. Jesus didn't die because of your sins. And this was also posted on Good Friday, by the way, so it's a little bit old. Jesus didn't die because of your sins. Jesus died because he was a poor, brown, revolutionary who was a threat to the Roman Empire. And the first question to ask is, how do you know that? Yeah, first and foremost, how do you know that? Number yeah. two, it's obvious, and I think this is the place where Tom Askell just hits it right on the park. The more that I've read on critical race theory, the more that I've worked on my paper on critical race theory, while I would say, uh, at least at this particular point in my research, I don't think that directly critical race theory um, undercuts inerrancy, but it undercuts the sufficiency of Scripture, which is a premier piece of inerrancy. Yeah, right? so like, you know, so in, in postmodern thought, you know, the Bible is a pre-modern document. Yeah. All those, that's pre-modern. And so at that pre-modern time, you know, it was re very revelational epistemology without that term, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know and I love what my cousin said, yeah. by the way, he said Rome wasn't white in the typical sense. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is very true, like 100% right on. I didn't even think about that. But like, yeah, we certainly know that. That is completely correct. Even according to critical race theory standards, Rome isn't white in yeah. the way that they mean that and the way that they would even imply that. So again, what you're doing here is you're seeing an anachronistic ide ideology forced onto the text and actually not just onto the text, but onto the theology of the atonement, which is a terrible thing, yeah. terrible idea. And so when I go to this, um, the first thing I want to do, I believe the most important thing to do is for us to understand reality according to what scripture tells us. And so when we go to scripture to give a clear teaching on the atonement, when you have someone propagating this kind of bull, because that's exactly what it is, someone like Mason Meninja has just put forward what is a bunch of bull. It is completely outside of the parameter of scripture because scripture is very clear on why Jesus died. I mean, unequivocally clear on why Jesus died. So before we even do that, like there's contextually some reality that's stated right up front about Jesus. And Adam's going to give you a little bit of yeah, a biblical so, perspective and then I'll uh, so, yeah, try so to there's anybody out that. there. If there's anybody out there like this uh, Mason fella, you know, we just need to say, you know, how do you know that? And so uh, the only 
place that you're going to get written information about Jesus Christ yeah. is the Bible, right? So you got to go to the Bible. So um, he didn't die for your sins. Well, you know, at, announced at his birth from Gabriel to Joseph, you know, he was in a dream, right? Dream state there. And the, and the angel um, comes to him. And then what does he say in uh, Matthew? One twenty-one. It says, after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So, Nothing about Jesus being a brown revolutionary there. This is before he enters into the world, and there's already a plan that Christ is going to fulfill, and it's laid out through the messenger, the Gabriel, uh, angel Gabriel, about why Jesus was coming and why Jesus would die. And then also, how about color here? He was, he was olive-skinned. He wasn't brown, right? So, I mean, we're just going to pull out weird random colors to uh, load oh gosh. the argument. Yeah, but further than that, uh, I would actually go to what I believe is the best be a theological perspective on why this issue is uh, so clear. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul actually shares with the church at Rome, again, why, uh, why Jesus died. And he kind of unpacks a nice little systematic theology here uh, through the book of Romans. And he says, and I'm just going to kind of build on the argument and just give you a few pieces of it. But in Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul says this, just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. Okay, so Paul is putting forward this idea about how we are justified by faith, uh, but by faith in what? And he continues on with that thought in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. So mm -hmm. while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, verse 8, but God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But how are you forgiven? Well, First John chapter 2, verse 2 gives us a really beautiful picture of this as well. I don't want to like steal anything know, from you or be like a, a hog here because sometimes I, just got, I can I got do the that. last point. It's okay. all good. Yeah. It's all good. So John chapter uh, 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says very clearly here that he is the propitiation for our sins. Why was Jesus was the payment for our sins? Nothing about the Romans being oppressive and trying to put Jesus to death because he was some political revolutionary. And and I don't want to like step on any of your arguments. Yeah. I know you. Well, do I that. mean, if he was any sort of political um, revolutionary, it wasn't against Rome um, because right here um, you've got uh, Luke twenty three. Yeah, twenty three. 13 through 17. So Pilate, who is Pilate? He is Rome. He is the ambassador. He is the one making the decisions, calling the shots, right? Um, for Rome um, in the area. And it says, Pilate called together a chief or the chief priests and leaders and the people. And he said to them, you have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of, neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. So, you know, and appeasing to them at least at the you know because he was a little. So is, yeah, anyway. Is, is, so if yeah. he was a political revolutionary against Rome, why did Pilate call him uh, not guilty? Because he wasn't. Yeah. And again, I think that, again, when you look at what Pilate puts above his head, it's even a little bit of a slap in the face to the Jews when he writes, and of course they saw it as that, it's a slap in the face when he puts king of the Jews. Basically, he was demonstrating, look, these Jews are so stupid, they put forward their king, and they killed their king. So really, their allegiance is to Rome is what he was saying. And so he wasn't actually putting him to death because he was a revolutionary against the Roman Empire. 
If anything, it was he was a revolutionary against the Jews who were in control. Uh, Romans chapter six verse ten, Paul continues on this idea: for the death he died, excuse me, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives with God. What he died to put sin to death, and then Paul in his epistle to the church at Corinth, First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse three, but. For, excuse me, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Whoa, wait, wait. Mr. Mason needs to get in his Bible because the reality is, according to Paul, wait, wait, what was first and of most importance? That Christ died for sins. Yeah, so this just goes to show you, uh, like, critical race theory becomes the lens. And if you go back in our episodes where we had our talks about critical race theory, I think it's uh, with uh, Elizabeth Dudash whenever I was talking to her, I'm like, so do I use this as a lens to look at covenants or do I, do I go covenantally here? Because covenantalism is my lens because I, yeah. I get that from scripture, how God relates to man um, and that covenantal relationship. And then that unfolds the whole story of redemption and that's where i get my hermeneutics and all that kind of stuff um uh, to look at the text and see what it means and what it says um but so basically this goes to show you i guess the only argument would be like well the people that wrote the bible got it wrong because they had the wrong lens so they couldn't view it right so now that we have the better lens this far down yeah, but again that would be completely wrong because according to the critical race theory worldview these were oppressed people who were deconstructing the systems of oppression which was the roman system and of course the jewish religious system and therefore these oppressed people couldn't have got it wrong they were actually just telling from their perspective and so even if you utilize their foolish framework by which to unpack the text you see again the absurdity of the position that's where i fall anyways yeah yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So watch out guys. Uh, you're going to see this kind of stuff. And the, you know, even though maybe Mason doesn't understand what he says has a worldview lens behind it. And it is uh, rooted in this uh, postmodern um, way of looking at things and power and oppression and all that kind of stuff being the, the uh, central fundamental thing, why things happen um, in history. Um, that's, that's, this is what happens. This is where people can go back and look at David and say, um, David raped Bathsheba, you know, and because that, that information is not in the text, but you know, it's there because your worldview has informed you that your presuppositions have informed you uh, to come to that conclusion. So be very careful, um, whenever you're talking to people and just really understand we cannot mix, we cannot mix this with our text. We have to go to the text, get our worldview from the text, um, get our hermeneutics from the text. Yeah. And this goes right into well, uh, gosh, again, I would tell you, know, you debate, uh, to me, so. one of the things I think, and I will, let's go ahead and jump on into some of the debate discussion, because I think yeah. that there's a really key piece that I actually really want to hit. So one of the things yeah. that was said in the debate, and again, we just want to give an overview. You know, um, we are so thankful again for Dr. Howe and for Mr. Tucker. What a cool opportunity. Like, I, truly, you know, we would have never expected the opportunity to get to interact in a dialogue with uh, someone that we admire, uh, like uh, Dr. Howe, again, I just want to say uh, I really admire Dr. Howe. Um, his scholarship on um, inerrancy is, is awesome. And uh, his work on that, his work on the International Society of Christian Apologetics, I'm so grateful for that. And just a, such an incredibly kind invitation for us to get to uh, possibly take his class. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that, but um, I don't know if, what you've decided to do. Well, but, I mean, uh, the, yeah. the thing is, I haven't got the inv- invitation yet. Oh, so. All right. <laughs> so I'm waiting I on am that. certain. Uh, I think we just shoot him an email and we'll, and we'll get yeah. it all set up. But yeah, really cool stuff. So uh, one of the things that was said, and this is something that Dr. Howe has touched on before, um, this is one place where I think that there's a stark difference between us, and that is, um, can you have a Christian worldview? One of the episodes that I believe he's had with Mr. Tucker is why I don't have a biblical worldview, and yeah. I can't remember if that was uh, both of them together, uh, but it was asserted very clearly, you know, how can you even have a biblical worldview, Christian worldview? I don't accept your definition of what a worldview is, which is essentially a set of presuppositions by which you understand the world, uh, the lens, and yeah. that's not just according to us, and I don't think that it was ever even put forward that way. Like, that is a pretty generalized statement about what reformed yeah, I mean, yeah, we, uh, apologetic we, would say. At the very end, yeah. yeah, at the very end of it, um, he gets into that and they just assert that it's absurd 
and, and self-refuting, but they never actually make a case why um, a, a worldview, the, the, the term worldview and the set of presuppositions um, you know, that are untested by science in which we move out of foundationally. So they're, they're, they're definitely, um, you know, just Aristotelian. I mean, uh, and you get down through the, down through the time, you know, you have a posteriori knowledge and we're talking a priori. Yeah. So. so one of the things that I would say, one of my critiques to that idea, which we actually didn't really get to get into that, that would be one of the f- cool things to get to kind of build upon is, can you have a Christian worldview? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And so what I would say, one of the pieces that is really important to me anyways, is where do we get the idea of having a Christian worldview? Like, what does it mean to have a non-Christian worldview? Well, I think that Paul addresses that idea, and I'm not proof texting one piece, but in Romans chapter 12, he's very clear, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, what his good, acceptable, and perfect will is, right? So uh, I think that when we think about a Christian worldview, it is a worldview that holds every thought captive to conforming to Christ. Again, another key piece that we have talked about numerous times is holding every thought captive to Christ is the framework by which you would understand the world, evaluate the world, and be able to recognize what is true and what is not true. Again, we see this, and I would guarantee you 100% that um, Mr. Tucker and Mr. Howe, or Dr. Howe, would certainly state that our knowledge of what is real should conform to Scripture. Our understanding of reality should conform to what Scripture says. Um, I think where we're going to have the real divergent piece is, what is the ultimate authority here for everyone? It is God's Word. And I don't want to misrepresent or try to put forward anything that's counter to what they would say. But our ultimate authority is God's Word. Our ultimate understanding of what is true science God's word, our ultimate understanding of what is good government, God's word. That is what we would hold everything up against. And that's what we mean when we talk about a biblical worldview. We can see what happens when you pollute your mind with the framework of a non-biblical and counter-biblical worldview, such as critical race theory. This is a big piece here, right? I And I'm, I'm saying this very clearly. Like, I would love to know, this would be another great discussion. Like, how does a classical apologist deal with something like critical race theory? It is a worldview. It is a framework for understanding the world. How do you evaluate that? How do you demonstrate that it's inconsistent with what scripture says or non-Christian? Right. Yeah, yeah, because there's you know the truths that you know um, without uh, worrying about God, without considering God, and all that kind of stuff. But you have to still make the logical leap um, to revelation. You still have to utilize revelation, um, and that's the problem. Is how do you talk to people? And uh, I mean, it comes out in the debate to where you know we could do, I guess, uh, Tokoku fallacies all time. And well, you do it too. You do it too. And they just don't understand uh, the fact that their their road is not the ultimate leader to salvation. And, uh, even, and we got to recognize that God uses, um, the sin of man to glorify himself too. Right. So you can do apologetics right or wrong and God still utilizes what, but Mm. what we're talking about is the ultimate and then being consistent to, um, that ultimate standard. And so that's where we're going like, yeah, you might, you might be, uh, you might've come to the gospel or come to, listening to somebody preach the gospel because you got into William Lane Craig, we can still call William Lane Craig's approach wrong. <laughs> and because Certainly, ultimately I, you came to the gospel and um, you responded to the gospel uh, because of what scripture says. You can't, you can't say that evidentialism saved me because the gospel saved you because the Holy spirit changed you to receive the truth of revelation. And you accepted it because you had the new heart and the spiritual eyes to be able to discern these things. And you came and you cried, Abba, Father. That's why you're saved. Now, the means to get there, we're not saying apologetics is a wrong means. It's just that if you're not, if not, if not every um, argument is held in cap, you know, held captive to the mind of Christ, then you're wrong, (laughs) you know, and that's just the wrong way to approach it. And we find it, I find it irrational to give somebody some somebody things that they're already rejecting at the very beginning. Um, you know, if they're already rejecting well, them, why? I know? think that that's one of the key pieces where we're going to have, where again, there's a massive difference, yes. right? The big piece that we differentiate with and the big piece that we have a problem with is I don't believe that man is neutral. 
Yeah. And I have a scriptural basis by which to say that. I don't believe that natural reason is going to draw you to Christ Jesus. I don't believe that a natural means is going to do that. That's why we start with the gospel. Um, on one of the interviews that we had actually done a little bit of talking about with Dr. Howe, the gentleman who was interviewing him uh, in that piece said, you know what I love about uh, William Lane Craig is at the end of his debate, he'll always get up and, and preach the gospel. No, um, that's the the wrong way to do that. You start out with the gospel. It is the gospel that is the f- very power yeah, the, of God the, unto mean, salvation. Yeah, so there's two points of contact here. We can only deal with somebody as an image bearer and treat them consistently with being an image bearer of God that is suppressing the truth, right? And the point of contact, the words used is the gospel, and then that's what gets it started. So you talk about Jesus Christ, which is foolishness, right? Um, they're going to end up pushing back on you because they find it foolish, and then you can utilize the gospel conversation to do apologetics. So you are evangelizing, you're trying to make a disciple, you're doing, you're being consistent with Christ, with what Christ has called you to do Hmm. um, while defending the truth and proclaiming the truth. And that's what we're about here is, is that evangelism, therefore apologetics idea. Hmm. Um, And and we don't have to divorce it. And then, you know, just giving lip service to the gospel at the end of a argument of uh you know, cosmology or whatever, whatever it is. That's no, no, no. You need to talk about the gospel. You're just afraid first that somebody's going to call uh, you according out to and Paul, say, first preaching. and foremost, you're not debating your first and like, foremost of importance is that Christ died for your sins. Yes. Not first and foremost is, Hey, let me give you some arguments so that you can believe in a God. Yeah. Scripture clearly states. And I think that that's actually where you wanted to take off was scripture clearly states that we have the knowledge of God. And so you had talked about a little bit about how you wanted to deal a little bit with Romans chapter one yeah, and yeah. the way that we de- yeah, uh, the way that, yeah, that let's, was kind of engaged. Yeah, so with, what we're going to so. do with this is, this is something that's going to go on for a while since it was like a two-hour conversation. Yeah, it was great. So we'll have parts um, going on, but we'll we'll have other things. So we're just not beating you <laughs> with this, but we do want to go through as much yeah. of the conversation as possible until um, you know we have another discussion. Again, they talked about part two. So Rich and yeah. um, you know Doctor Howe and uh, Adam Tucker, if you're watching this, please get a hold of us. We need a part two. Yeah, we'd we really would like really it enjoy that a little and, bit more. Uh, we think it'd be fun. Yeah, and we'd like it a little bit more organized. Yeah, <laughs> do a little bit more like that. But if we can do that, that'd be sweet. So, By and large, but, I still feel pretty uh, yeah. really good about the way things went. I thought it was extremely cordial, really enjoyed, yeah. enjoyed every, every last bit, gave me some great pieces of challenge, great challenges that I still am looking forward to working through. And also, Hey, in, in trying to inform myself more on Thomism, because um, it's very clear that that is where both of those men's are, men are. I think that they stated that oh, yeah. for the most part. So yeah. Yeah. So. Aristotelian and Thomism. So. All right. So we're going to jump into Romans chapter one. Okay. We're going to jump into the podcast okay. or into the uh, discussion here and then we'll just take it wherever it goes. And like I said, it, this might be like a 10 part, thing that we do yeah. just little bits and pieces with other things <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're going to we're start 42 minutes in and we yeah. haven't even touched yeah. it so yeah so <laughs> let's go for it let's go for it so dr al again for the sake of our uh, audience could you give us just a brief snippet of what we mean by classical apologetics is it just uh, evangelism what's going on there we are playing well, uh, it at two speed to, yes yeah. we are yeah, sorry times two i think it's important to distinguish what we care about classical apologetics in this context of a debate with the presuppositionalists versus what we would say about classical apologetics with respect to how it might compare and contrast with things like evidentialism and, and, and sort of the spectrum of non-presuppositionalism. So as far as the latter is concerned, typically what is characteristic of the classical method is that you establish the existence of God before you can give specific evidence and arguments for the truth of the Christian faith. And that's something that I, it just never, I, I, we kept on talking about it, but I just, like, you cannot question the existence of God. Where in scripture is the existence of God questioned and apologetically defended like that? It was always presupposed and you never, like the people never allowed that question to even come into mind. And I'd say that that was a piece that actually probably was the most troubling yeah. to me, uh, where I think the the greatest difference, difference in this is between us. The greatest difference is this, right? We believe very clearly that scripture should inform our apologetic. Yes. Right. That is actually, that'd be a really cool debate to have. That'd be a really cool piece to talk about would be, should Scripture inform your methodology, right? Yeah. Yes. Definitely, unequivocally, yes. Why is that? Because Scripture is the ultimate standard. So if I'm going to share the gospel, I want to look at how it's done in Scripture. Never in Scripture is there an argument, oh, you don't believe in God, let me convince you that God exists now. Now that I've convinced you that God exists, let me prove to you that the resurrection really, really happened. 
Yeah, and it's one of those things, did did Jesus allow the existence of God be questioned whenever he said, believe the works? No. No, he did not. So you do not establish the existence of God. The existence of God is the one presupposition of all predication. Glad you said that. If you do not um, start with that, then you have given them logic, you've given them everything that they need to then twist everything and drive straight into the brick wall. With you in the car. Yeah. Agreed. 100%. That is, at least for me, the ultimate problem with this position is, no, we don't try. It does. Reality does just falls apart without the truth that God exists. You begin there. Why do you begin there? Because we are created beings. We have a creator. And so, you have knowledge of that creator, and that brings yeah. us to and the this, Romans chapter yeah, one. This is what, then this is why we get called a uh, fetus, but or fetus. But the thing is, is yeah, their faith is a component, and so we have to deal with it. But it's we're not fetus going like I just believe it by faith. I just accept it. I have no argument um, because Scripture gives us the argument to be able to use right to to defend the truth, though they will believe it or not believe it based on the Holy Spirit, but. Um, you know, there is the faith factor, and they're not even considering the faith factor. That was because, one of the things because that I, of the because yeah. man's brain is so awesome, and we are so much we are we are able to do it again. There is so much in there um, that uh, has to be uh, dismantled, um, but you know that's that's on them. Christian faith. The reason that is in our mind is because arguments for the truth of Christianity in particular among competing theisms in the world is it will be an appeal among other things to so it's a little hard for okay. them to understand the two speed I don't know if you got okay. that comment yeah, so slow, can you slow it slow down it just down a little bit yeah here. so let me go back here 15 seconds evidence and arguments for the truth of the Christian faith the reason that is in our mind is because arguments for the truth of Christianity in particular among competing theisms in the world is it will be an appeal among other things to historical miracles so he says that you know so just let, let's think about the little bit of inerrancy we talked about. That's why there's the question mark and the strike through on inerrancy. Cause we didn't talk about inerrancy that really. No inerrancy. And, and, and yeah. again, we, yeah. I, I, to be fair, it was, we're going to kind of go where the conversation goes. Nothing yeah. really structured. I will state, I was, I really wanted to talk a little bit more about inerrancy since I just finished up an inerrancy class in seminary. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but he does say, you know, with inerrancy, you know, uh, we get our hermeneutics from reality. Well, what is reality? You now you're begging the question of reality and trying to explain it. And then you're going to try then, you know, he's being a presuppositionalist here because then he's using, he, he recognizes, well, reality is what it is because God has created and every fact is a fact because God made it a fact. Well, now you sound like Van Til. So you're a presuppositionalist now, right? Yeah, so, right so is there such thing as competing theisms? Well, in a subjective sense, but in reality, what is reality? That's the problem. So this is where his system refutes itself. Well, the, okay. So, and just from some of my listenings to listening to Oliphant speak about Thomism, which I think is probably the, um, I think he's fair, uh, fair author on it. Um, he has a book on it that's published. And so he's been teaching philosophy for a while too. So basically if I understand just again, my, my little piece in philosophy on this is there is this idea of natural reason that everybody has. That is the ultimate point of contact then, according to the classical position, or at least to the classical position that was being presented. Now you say that there's some sort of equivocation there on his part, because what he's equivocating is the ability to reason. Yes, that's (laughs) presupposed. So there is a common, we, we will grant you, there is... The uh, everybody has a common ability to reason. That's a part of being too. That's an ontological statement that they don't, you know. So, but this is the whole point. You like so you're like we do not reason the same way. No. And how do you but, know by which yeah. standard your reasoning is correct? Yeah. Not everybody has the same reasoning. That's one of the problems that I think is again. So, yeah, there's an equivocation presupposed of terms. Is there. that everyone has some ultimate ability to reason? Yeah, I would disagree with that. What about the uh, what about the individual who suffers with some type of um, mental illness of some sort? What about uh, the individual who struggles with social disorder? Their ability to reason is not the same as yours. Yeah, their standard for what is reasoning is different. There has to be some standard by which 
everyone has a natural reasoning. I don't think that, again, in my experience and my understanding, even of the arguments, that the idea that we have a a common reasoning, a natural reasoning, is yeah. uh, going to not yeah. even comport with scripture. Again, but, again, com- but the whole point here is the equivocation of terms. There's the equivocation of the ability to reason. Yes. With reasoning. Yes, well said. Two different definitions. So, well said. you want to talk about a problem from his side? There you go. Is uh, you you say that we conflate uh, ontology with epistemology? Well, you conflate, you equivocate two definitions of the same term and term, and you go around. And it's more subtle with you because you can see a little bit bigger difference between the assumption and and uh, and the being. Even though uh, I got him to say that the law of non-contradiction is based on the being of God. So that was awesome to get. But um, so there, there's a, there's a, there's a good problem. And um, yeah, this conversation has brought that out. Not the least of which is the resurrection of Jesus, but miracles are only possible if there is a God who exists. So if a, if a naturalist or an atheist is consistent with his naturalism or atheism, he would never be able to uh, conclude that an, an event from history was a true miracle because in order to be a miracle, there would have to be a God who is the cause of that event. So as a matter of a God. Okay. That's all you're going to lead him to. Miracles. Yeah. At least for me anyways. Now. It depends on your definition. And so I think we wait would a operate second. on a different you definition. You would state, once you begin to try to prove miracles, the ultimate miracle, Christ's resurrection. Wait a second. I have to prove that to you. Yeah. You're going to, again, come up to, well, how do you know that that happened? Are you going to be According to what do you know yeah. that that happened? Scripture. Well, how do I know Scripture is true? Because God spoke. Oh, it so is his character. You're going to have to turn into a presuppositional. You're going to have to eventually appeal yeah. to Scripture in some way in order to get them to Christ. Even if you know, okay, well, I've convinced them that there's a God. And now, okay, now I need to convince them that miracles occurred. How did you do that? You appealed to revelation, special revelation, every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, so, they, so no matter what you do, um, if you don't have, uh, have the, uh, I guess, the Reformed epistemology approach, um, you're, not, you're not connecting things together. And this is the whole, whole problem is you got a part and then a part and piece, part and piece, part and piece, logic jump. And then, but the thing is, is also, if, you, if, it, if you're talking about subjective miracles, then if they grant you that, anybody can prove that. So you have to start with, this is the presupposition of all predication, or else everything just becomes arbitrary. Yeah, um, so two yeah. things real quick. I want to make sure that I answer two questions that we had live. Number one, Jonathan, um, how would you define sufficiency of Scripture? And I would say God has revealed to us all that we need for salvation and to know Him, to know Him in salvation. Yeah. Yeah, like and I God mean, has revealed so, the scripture everything that we need. Basically, to know. yeah, he yeah. says that uh, what is revealed is yours. Yeah, and so and we can run with that, and it is sufficient enough information. So yeah. you know, and, just, and just again, like I'm natural. kind of adopting a little yeah. bit of Grudem's um, yeah. definition in that. I think that the Grudem shares it pretty well when he's well when he talks about the sufficiency of scripture in his chapter. And you know, we did spend a good amount of time actually on that in in a few in one of the yeah. shows. Just, we did one whole show on the sufficiency of Scripture. So, sufficiency of Scripture is that God has shared, told us everything we need for knowledge of Him, knowledge of salvation, and knowledge of how to live. Yeah, and then that's the whole don't add or take or away to grow with him. Yeah. thing as well. So, so. then, uh, Tristan has a great question. I'm going to go ahead and shoot it out to you and let you respond. Um, would your approach be any different in a debate with an unbeliever as opposed to a discussion with a coworker, family member, or friend if the conversation partners have questions about the validity of biblical text or about how you understand the universe, would you be willing to engage in an in-depth conversation with them? Schaefer was a presuppositionalist who felt an honest questions deserve an honest answer. And I would say, yeah, um, yeah. I will always talk about the, again, so I'm more along the lines of frame. And I think one thing, I don't know, really appreciated this, Jonathan and Hannah and I had a good conversation on Sunday um, just through Facebook Messenger on this. And he's like, hey, I think you guys were a little bit, and I think this is a good critique, you guys were a little closer to Psy than you were white and frame. And I would say we certainly are more along the lines of white and frame in that I do think that there is a very good reason for us to, as a secondary resource, use things like 
the textual evidence for the New Testament. I think yeah, that it right. is very important for us to appeal to things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, the, the difference would be the honesty of the other person. So, yeah. you know... Um, Great like, point. Uh, because, I like that. Because they go, there's a lot of people that come in with bad faith, and you know it, um, especially with uh, my um, friend on Facebook. I know that, uh, you know, whenever they make, well, anybody can make that claim. I'm like, do you actually know if, a, if, if a Muslim can make the claim that they make? And if I, so I, then I turn into Sai with him. I go, I can have a Bible study with you, but it's not going to be any, it's not going to go anywhere until you, until you submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, so, you know, does my hermeneutic change, uh, with people? Actually, it does not necessarily change. I can uh, talk to anybody because, uh, my definition goes along with, uh, with, uh, Scott Oliphant. It's just applying biblical truth to unbelief. So I find that unbelief, even if you are a believer, if you show an example of unbelief in something that's so, clear in scripture, then I'm going to press in on that unbelief the same way I'm going to press in on the unbelief of the unbeliever where they're at. And so for unbelief. me anyways, the yeah. use of evidences as yeah. a secondary means is great, yeah. right? If you want to press me on the reliability of scripture, like, and yeah. I think that's, that's one of the areas where there is a nice point of contact between a classical apologist and uh, a covenantal or presuppositional apologist is we can say, yeah, we should look at the textual evidence for the reliability of the New Testament. We certainly have archaeological digs, and those are good pieces. But ultimately, you're going to depend on your mind to reason for those things at some point, but you can't give an account for those. Why can you not give an account for your ability to interpret evidence um, for your ability to evaluate sources. Well, it's, it's the same thing, like, you know, so if, uh, I've got a buddy that uh, talks about, uh, you know, just contradictions in scripture and he's talking about Christ and how Christ was wrong with Matthew 24 and stuff like that. And I was like, well, even if you can't explain it, if you already say that uh, you're the interpreter of the, uh, the arbiter of the truth of the matter, if that's a contradiction or if Jesus failed in his prophecies and all that kind of stuff, what you're doing is whenever you jump off of, if Jesus is not right, you've jumped off the trip. Now you've got to explain, um, what you have to explain logic. You have to explain all these kind of things that you can't explain outside of the biblical worldview. Bingo. And he gets mad every time I do that. But, but one thing, I'm just going like, if you say the Bible contradicts itself, now you have to go, okay, what's how wrong are with you the contradiction? a being? You're a contradictory being, but is that wrong? You know, and then, then it just becomes, and so I show him his absurdity. And so whenever, so no matter what, um, what, who you're talking to, whenever you notice that they jump off of the, uh, triune God hermeneutic, then that's whenever you show them, well, now you have to explain morality to me, logic, especially logic, if you're going to talk about contradictions. So that's where you can get into textual criticism and inerrancy and all that kind of stuff um, is whenever you see somebody jump off the triune God. And that's one of the pieces that I think is probably, again, a major point. If I was going to say, you know, I and we're we said we were going to play through the whole like yeah. parts. We hey, we got interaction tonight, it. so this is yeah. awesome. We thank we, you guys. Yeah, thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate it. And um, I see Adam Tucker's watching, listening, brother. Um, if you feel like we have misrepresented you in any way, please let us know. Uh, I hope that we've only clarified some things, and maybe even presented some areas where we're like, hey, we didn't understand this in the way that it was said. And I certainly want to have good discussion because, again, I really do respect both you guys. I really am thankful for Southern Evangelical Seminary. Love uh, Dr. Geisler, even though I disagree with him. Not only about, I assume he is also classical anatomist, because he was, uh, but I would also say I disagree with him about the doctrines of grace, and um, God bless him, he did great work for the kingdom. And I I will say that unapologetically, right? Like, I love reading... uh, all of the texts that I have read on inerrancy, right? The 1980 inerrancy text, like general editor, his article was great. I loved his articles in uh, the book with William Roach, uh, Defending Inerrancy, Vital Issues in the Inerrancy Debate. Like, I think Geisler is by far one of the best articulators of the doctrine of inerrancy. Like, I, I, I can say that unapologetically. Like, I think that he did more to defend the doctrine of Scripture than than almost anybody that I know, at least modern-wise. Um, yeah. So, you know, just an amazing piece on that, and I want to make sure I say that really clearly. But with that said, <laughs> one thing that bothered me, and with our last, like, well, about well, we a minute and minutes. a half left. We yeah, okay, good, 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 all right. We we'll go too much longer than that. The one thing that probably was the most 
concerning and disconcerting. And I would love to have this conversation a little bit more. And it was a statement that I think was probably the most bothersome to you, the one we've talked about the most. And that is when I appealed to the methodology that is clearly demonstrated in Scripture in the book of Acts, 24 sermons in the book of Acts, 10 major sermons, three individuals give those major sermons, Stephen, Peter, Paul, those individuals, according to a generic analysis, which is a rhetorical device by which you would look at sermons, any rhetorical artifact, right? You would apply some lens. I've applied the lens of generic criticism, right? According to generic criticism, there are a excuse me, there is a consistent approach by which to evaluate the apologetic speeches that are given there. And it is very clear that is how we should be defending the faith. It's pretty clear. When Peter says, defend the faith, always be ready to give a defense, he could say that as one who had given a defense, and according to God's plan, his defense was preserved in Scripture. When Jude is saying, uh, defend the faith once delivered by the saints, he could say, and here's how they defended it, because it was preserved. And that should be the standard by which we would apply and look for how to um, defend the Christian faith. And so that was basically said, well, we don't get our hermeneutic from Scripture. Why do we have to get our apologetic? And to that I would say, that's probably the piece that was the most disturbing to me. Yeah. Why and how do we do that? Well, we do it because it's the ultimate standard. It's the ultimate corrective lens, and it should be the ultimate director of how we do things. And so for me, as one who is saying that I submit to the ultimate authority of Scripture, I want to see how the apostles defended the faith, and I want to adopt that methodology to the best of my ability. And that's why I believe the covenantal approach is the best approach. And so the defense and the question was then put, well, then why don't we get our uh, hermeneutic from that? And to that, I would say, no, we do arrive at our hermeneutic from that. Yeah, this is again that sanctification. And I mean, I've said it, Jason Lyle did a good job again uh, on doing that. That's just called sanctification. And so, you know, we recognize, again, everything's twisted. Everything's sinful. Our reasoning is sinful. But the thing is, we possess within us um, knowledge that we are suppressing. And so whenever you read the scriptures, that's whenever in, in the Holy Spirit, what he's doing is making that beach ball pop out of the water that you're suppressed this whole time. And so then you find out what is the right hermeneutic? What is the wrong hermeneutic? How do we know critical race theory isn't a correct hermeneutic to look at scripture? Well, you can get it from scripture. It's not that we're asserting it, therefore it's so. It's from Scripture. So I would say, and you and I were talking about this, um, I can't remember if we were talking about it this morning or if we were talking about it when I got here, and you were cutting my hair. By the way, I don't have a hat on because Adam cut my hair today. So uh, first time in two months, by the way. Uh, Sorry, I I know, I got to watch the time, man. Um, You said to me something about how we could know that our hermeneutic was the right hermeneutic. Well, that's, I mean, that's just getting washed in the word. And so you, you get into there. And so whenever you're reading, whenever you're reading scripture, you're reading, you're, you understand you're not reading in a vacuum. Agreed. And so you understand there's history behind it. So you, you recognize that there's authors and audiences and that there's meaning. There's, there's a meaning to there. There's only one meaning <laughs> to things there. What did Paul want to write to the to, uh, Galatians? What did Paul want to write to the Corinthians? There is a meaning there, and we're trying to dig it out. Yes. And so we continue, continue, continue. So it is a process of sanctification to understand that. And again, again I would just go right back to Romans twelve two as well. Uh, I would just go back life. to Romans twelve two. Yeah. When okay, so here's the other thing that I would say. When Paul wrote his letter to the church at Rome, and he expected to resonate with meaning, which again. This isn't unique with Dave. Others have stated this very clearly. Romans is essentially a systematic theology, right? In the Bible, it is our one systematic theology. All right. Um, How did the church at Rome understand that? That what they were reading and how they were going to know that what God was saying was true. 
sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Likewise, very clear in Acts chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will guide them in all truth. Now, some would say, well, wait a second, that's talking about the apostles writing scripture. I would say that that's not an isolated idea there. It is not only being applied to the apostles, but to the understanding of the text that they would write. Yeah, and it's just that his divine power has given us everything for life and godliness. I mean, so we know that from the text that... uh, it's the spirit that lives with the the same spirit that was in Paul is the same spirit that indwells us. Yeah. And so now he's a, the Holy spirit's a person and he has a will and he does what he wills according to the overall arching plan of God, you know, for his good purposes. And so, yeah, we are all different. We all have different understandings. We're all growing differently. Um, so that's why I can still go, you guys are brothers. We love you. Um, we don't think you're correct. You don't think we're correct, but we are all growing and it is that, uh, community talking in these discussions that, um, get us there. So, I mean, there's more, there's a multifaceted, um, um, thing going on here. Um, but then again, you, you get, we all have to be in scripture and, and duke it out. And, uh, and it's by the Holy Spirit's guidance, um, that we come to these conclusions. And so that's, again, how do we get our hermeneutic? Well, we stand on the back of backs of giants who read scripture and, um, and we are here today, um, predestined by God here right now today, um, to do something for him and, 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 um, keep on the education so that we can make disciples. And I would say one thing that I think is important to, um, just be reminded of is in our closing moments here. Um, Dr. Howe is a PhD in philosophy. <laughs> we are not. So what a privilege it is to deal with someone who does have a knowledge base, and I would say respectfully so, that is greater than mine. With that said, I do think that there were still some real challenges that were put forward, and maybe some that I'm not completely understanding, and I don't say that to sound like I'm some ignorant person, but like I would say certainly want to make sure that I'm understanding questions that I'm pushing back on the right questions. But one thing that I, fo- that I thought was very odd was if there was a similarity between the methods, which I do think that there is. I mean, when I read Classical Apologetics by Sproul and Gershner, uh, I think that I'm saying the second author there. Yeah. There's three authors yeah. in it. Um, when I read that, I thought, well, there's some similarities, certainly. And I can certainly um, understand some of the ideas, but I'm not going to say, oh, so no, no, that's, that's presuppositional. That's presuppositional. And I don't think that that's, uh, don't think that's exactly real, real fair. Yeah. To always say that's this. So yeah. there you go. That That's my position. So we probably yeah. better, I know we didn't get to much of the yeah. uh, discussion, but uh, uh, specifically, but I think we gave a nice overview. Yeah, we got, yeah, we got the overview. And like I said, we will continue uh, to go through this. I mean, we just got a little over a minute into it. So um, as we, <laughs> as, uh, as we uh, part and piece this out over time, um, you know, we'll get into more meatier things. I think this is a great uh just a continuance. This will be our pre-sup what's up moment. And I might have to make a new video and a new song just for fun anyway <laughs> uh, for that. But uh, this will be a great uh, learning opportunity um, uh, for even you guys. I, I hope that uh, um, as we go through this time, so I hope we're not like belaboring something, but this is something very awesome. Yeah. Um, we will treasure this conversation and, and we also want to mine it and also do it with you guys. That's why we do this podcast and we do it live and uh, we really like the community aspect yeah. of you guys listening to it and interacting with us. And we thank you guys so much tonight for uh, interacting with us and, and giving us a little bit of conversation fodder too. Um, so it's not just we got a, neat, a neat little, uh, and I'll share, share with Adam after we get off the broadcast, but like a really cool message why we, when we started out, he doesn't even know exactly what uh, the message that I talked about with uh, Dr. Sonny Hernandez, but had a cool little uh, offer given by him. And so we'll touch base with that. Cool. And we might have a another little neat announcement about that. That, but cool. um, we're probably gonna have to get somebody else on before too long besides us. But that's that. That's, hey, to two weeks determined. in a row, I am in the studio with you, by the way. Yes. All right, I better. So yeah, we're back into there. But guys, uh, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, we'll continue this conversation uh, in the coming maybe months. We'll just keep it on there, but we'll keep, we'll, we'll make sure to, there's other things that are going to go on. There's going to be other things to talk about. And so we'll just, uh, you know, just, uh, be, uh, 
be in the uh, hand of God, what we talk about. And that's a, that's the awesomest place to be is, is in that and recognizing that, uh, um, God will lead us and guide us, uh, to things to talk about and to, um, study his word and mine it for so that we can, uh, discuss together, um, as Dave and I, and with you guys too. So, um, with that said, this is the tag your podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I am Dave. And solely Deo Gloria. Gloria.